Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome back to the Lantern Rouge Cycling Podcast with Benji Nyson. The off-season has truly begun. This is our Tour de France 2021 route well, not really a preview, kind of a recap of the route announcement that came out a couple of weeks ago. How have you been going, Benji? Are you, I mean, I presume you followed the announcement a little bit. Were you, uh, what was your initial gut reaction when you saw the profiles? I'm not necessarily overly disappointed. I didn't really have any preparation of thoughts beforehand. So I wasn't like, I want to see this kind of mountain stage or this kind of mountain stage. I mainly wanted a parkour that fitted a number of riders and would be entertaining to watch from start to finish. And that's something that I think every fan wants on cycling. For me, it doesn't really matter who comes out on top at the end of a Grand Tour if Nibali's not contending. There's no real queen mountain stage where I'm like, bam, that's a stage. But we'll go into that in a second. I think that that is basically my first thoughts on it. I mean, then my, my thoughts were kind of similar. It was just like, okay. Few things change, few things different, but classic Tour de France route where it's nothing. You can't put put your finger on a stage and say, as you said, Benji, you can't say that stage there is going to be a massive GC split like in Stelvio Giro stage. And I think it was unusual that ASO chose when to announce this Tour de France route when they did. I mean, they announced it, I think, in like the start of the last week of the Vuelta where everyone was sick of cycling, I think, that a lot of the fans were oversaturated with cycling content. Even following the races was hard, and I think they announced it. I don't know why they announced it then. I think it would have got a lot more interest and buzz in this week because no one's got anything else to talk about and to look at in cycling. So that was when I would have announced it personally. But um, I guess I've brought the Tour de France forward to the is from the 26th of June to the 18th of July so that it doesn't clash with the Olympics. Uh, that's an earlier finish than normal. The Olympics is then, a, I think, a week, starts a week or so after that, the Olympic road race. I think people will be able to back up for that fine. I think we should set out a few assumptions as well. Of for, We're not going to do picks for each stage. We're going to say which type of riders we'd expect to win those stages. But I think we should set out which riders we think will be going to the Tour de France or the main GC contenders generally. So... Correct me if you if you think I'm way off, Benji, but I think Pagacha going, obviously 100% he's going last year's winner. Here she's going. Philippe is going. He's probably the best punchers. Froome at ISU with Wood supporting him will be going. And Dan Martin. So both, I think Dan Martin, Woods, Froome, and uh, yeah, will be going. Roglic will be going. Don't think Avonapol will be. I think he'll go to the Giro. Thomas, I think, will be going for Ineos as their leader with either with Martinez, maybe as a domestique, Port as a domestique, Carapaz, maybe. I'm not sure about Carapaz, but yeah, Thomas, maybe Gagenhardt, I don't know. But I think Thomas for sure for Ineos. And who else am I missing, Benji? You, you'd know this better than me. You think Tom Dumoulin is a lock 
to go for Jumbo Visma next year? Yeah, I think so. Because Jumbo has really proven this year that their main goal is the Yellow Jersey, and they failed to do so this year. So that quest is still on, and I think they're going to put the whole team on the line next year once again to go full out for that. Bruno Wagen, who had no place in the team because of that as well. Obviously, there are, and there's another reason, but he also would not have had an opportunity to go to the Tour de France this year because they were focusing so hard on riders that could support Roglic. And, well, Dumoulin is well in the mountains this year because when it started, Dumoulin was relatively similar leader on paper. I know you think differently to that. Me as well, but he was still seen as a, a GC rider in the team. Kreisbeck was meant to go. So for next year, I'm really curious how they're going to be able to form a team that is working together once again, like this year, and where the leaders can work together as well. Because this year it really came together because Roglic was a step further than everybody else. If that's going to be the same next year, then it's clear that he's leader. But Dumoulin in a good form in like top level form of his uh, of his age then then he can play here and it's mainly because of the uh, time trials that we see on the on the profiles that will go into in a second here so you know I, I'd put him on the on the list to be honest I don't think he'll go to the Giro or anything and regarding well, Van, Arn, Liverpool, is he locked? Van Aert is locked uh, I believe Van Aert is locked because quite simply he is a super domestique right now and additionally he has an opportunity for green if they decide to go for it. I think that Fanat has the uh, honors to decide for himself these days. I don't think Jumbo has too much to say in what he wants to go to as an extra as well because he brings so much to the team that he probably gets a lot of his own choices when he says something. So I think in the Tour de France, he will be helping out the leader, but also going for green. I, I just feel like he lost the opportunity this year, and he might regret it a bit, knowing the eventual outcome. But for next year, I think that it's quite a goal for him to go for green. And the same for Van der Poel, who said that he was going to go for green, most likely, in the Tour de France of next year, because Alpesin is having a wild card because uh, they were first in a Pro Conti this year. And that is honestly quite curious, because they obviously don't have any GC leaders on the menu. But... Um, this is not a bit of a preview. Just wanted to point out that Fanad will probably go for green as well, I think. But regarding Evenepoel, I think it all depends on... Well, his main goal is Olympics. We know that. He wants to win the Olympic uh, ITT and wants to have a chance at the road race. And additionally, he wants a Grand Tour with a lot of TT kilometers. In the Stade of France, you'll see that there are quite a number of TT kilometers. But in the Giro, most likely as well. So... If the Giro indeed has the ITT kilometers that we are expecting it to be, then I agree with you that Evenepoel will most likely head for the Giro. But it's also just the main thing that I haven't really seen too many people have their first Grand Tour as a youngster in the Tour directly. Usually they go to the Vuelta first or the Giro first. And that was planned with Remco. Obviously the injury changed that a bit. I'm curious if that will change anything next year. I think that he's going to go to the Giro. The kilometers of ITT are similar to the Tour de France because that will lead to a better preparation for the Olympics, I'd say. Yeah, I think... I'm not sure what they'll do with Almeida. Uh, Almeida came, what, fourth or fifth in the Giro. Whether that helps him in the Tour, I'm not sure. But yeah, I think 
that's the GC guys mainly. I hope Matthew van der Poel goes as well. I think FDJ will be taking Godu Pino, but not necessarily as Pino as GC, and I think they'll be bringing DeMar this time. I really, really think they should bring DeMar, and I hope they do as well. But we'll know more closer to the time. Injuries, crashes, all that can happen. Nairo Quintana will be going. Enric Mast will be going. Landa probably will be going as well, sort of the second-tier GC contenders. Um, and Bernal, I've changed my mind on the Bernal thing, and I'll get to that, I think, when we preview the stages. Um, I've changed my mind on that a little bit now that I've looked at this route. But it starts in Brittany. So Brittany means wind or the possibility of wind. It starts in Brest and finishes in uh, Landerneau. And honestly, this first stage, 187 kilometres, it screams of welter stage one. Not the stage one we saw this year, but the other sort of welter stages with rolly terrain. And we're using the La Flamme Rouge. The link is in the show notes and the uh, YouTube video description. We're using La Flamme Rouge profiles on uh, the website. The Tour de France hasn't released the profile for every stage yet, but La Flamme Rouge has done them up. 2,620 metres climbing. And more importantly, it finishes with 3Ks at 5.6%, this final climb. And I think it's steeper in the third or the the first kilometre of that climb. And, um, yeah, I'm picking Wout van Aert to take the yellow jersey straight straight away, Benji, on this stage. And I know we're not doing picks and I won't generally, but I don't – do you think this will be the sprinters or is it not hard enough and – or is it – sorry, is it too hard and will it be Alaphilippe, Piersi, Woods, Dan Martin – Alaphilippe, Roglic, Pagacha? I think it'll be a a healthy combination of both. It is not a super straightforward run into the final as well. So I think that's where I'm more worried about sprinters. I don't think uh, the likes of an Ackermann or something would survive the run into this finish. On the finish itself, 3 kilometers, 5.6%. Yeah, I think that it's most likely going to be a combination between hilly sprinters and the punchers. I would. I won't really pick a rider here, but I think it's near the possibility of Hirschi coming into into competition versus also the hilly sprinters with potentially Sagan in good days. But it's really dependent on Sagan's form, to be honest, because yeah, we know that it's been a bit inconsistent lately. So it's hard to specify which of the two kind of riders would come out on top here. But I think it's going to lean more to the punchers than uh, the hilly sprinters personally. But Van Aert is kind of both, you know. So, yeah, it depends on the rider. But if we look past Van Aert and Van der Poel, who can do both, then I'd be pointing at just plainly the punchers more than the hilly sprinters. But you're saying Van Aert, but I wouldn't count on a pick like Van der Poel on this either. But, yeah. We said we won't pick riders, but it's difficult to do so without picking riders because we're trying to explain what type of rider, you know? What do you think about the Tour de France way? So choosing a not a pure flat sprint stage for the stage one, I, I understand it. I'll, I like it. And the reason they've done this, I think, is it's not just, oh, they just want Alaphilippe to go into the yellow jersey. Sure, maybe that's the case as well. But think about the names, the, the, the marketing power and all that. The, the big names are Alaphilippe, Wout van Aert, um, probably Pogacar as well. Those guys are bigger names than, I think, Bennett or Ewan 
or even Groenewegen or Ackerman. So maybe not Ewan, um, but I just think they prefer to have those guys in yellow and contesting at the start than um, than maybe the sprint. What do you think? Like, why do you think they've gone for a non-traditional first stage? Because the stage one in Nice had a bit of climbing this year, but still was a sprint stage. I enjoy the conspiracy theory that they do this to have a French rider win, but I just don't <laughs> think that Alaphilippe is a straightforward favorite for this stage anyway. So it's hard to really um, say that, oh, this fits this rider or this rider, or this, this purely fits Alaphilippe because it's kind of a combination of two rider types. We said it, hilly sprinters versus punchers, and it really depends on how the race is ridden with the run-in because... We're talking about this London No Final being that 3-kilometer, 5.6% climb, but as they're running, we've got four KOMs before that, and they're not the steepest, 3%, 4%, 4%, roughly all about 2-4 to four kilometers, and there's one in there of 1.1 kilometers at 6%, but that's like 40 kilometers from the final. So don't think too much action is going to happen on that, but what's most curious about this fast stage is that usually you've got a fast stage with 1K one point or something for the Bocada jersey. Now you've got five, and I think the finish line gives K one points as well. So extremely curious how what the categorized parts of that are gonna be. Is the finish line gonna be more points than the others, or how it's gonna be delivered? Because this might be interesting for a breakaway battle for the Bocada jersey, to be honest. Next stage is even more interesting from my perspective. Still in Brittany, stage two, they're using the Mur de Bretagne. It's less climbing throughout the stage, 2,000 metres climbing, less categorised climbs. There's a 2K climb at 5%, 145Ks in. Sorry, the, the train's going past my, my Airbnb again in, in, uh, in quarantine. 183-kilometre stage. Look at this, Benji. Bonus seconds. 20, oh, how many Ks to the line? 15 Ks to the line. There's bonus seconds at the top of the first lap of Britannia. So they do two laps, I think, of the Mille de Britannia. Two Ks at 6.8% bonus seconds the first time, just like they have this year sometimes during the stage. And then they finish on the Mille de Britannia, which I think has a 14% pinch in the first part of it. It's quite steep in the first kilometre of that 2K climb and then, flattens out from memory um, and generally the winners on this stage particularly when they do two repetitions of it have been the GC guys or Dan Martin type characters uh, so I think this is even more por- maybe Caleb Ewan depending on the way they race it could win stage one I don't think he will but could and has one similar stage in the past this stage two this is the punchers, Benji. And if Alaphilippe or Wout Van Aert or he or she or whoever weren't in yellow on stage one, I think they will be in yellow after this stage two. Who do you – do you think this is Dan Martin maybe and there's going to be some Froome Dan Martin beef on who is the yellow – who's the GC leader? <laughs> that, that'd be funny, but I do believe that it's more likely that the likes of one of the more punchy riders because – I see Dan Martin as a rider that can suffer 20, 20, 20 times in a row, and he can therefore put a high wattage up and, and pretty much die 20 times doing so. But I don't believe he has that magnificent punch anymore that he had in the past compared to, for example, Anala Philippe. I think if you put those two next to each other on a steep climb and you 
wait for their initial acceleration. Then I think Alaphilippe's going to come out of those two with quite a big margin over Van Martin. But I'm not saying he's a bad puncher. I just believe that there is a big difference between those two types of punchers. And I feel like it's more going to go towards a Hirschi or an Alaphilippe in that sense, because Hirschi seems to be the perfect combination between a climber and a puncher. We've seen in the um, Dauphiné, I think Dauphiné, that he was a good climber as well, where he was going quite basically GC-wise, and he was there with the elite group until the last 20 riders every time. So I believe if you look at that and you see an opportunity like Muda Britannia, which is not really just a 800-meter wall, it's two kilometers, and it feels like it's pretty endless if you're on it, then... I think that a Hirschi could really come out on top as well, but the style of rider of Hirschi, I mean. So, yeah, it's it's a bit... It's just that a lot of people are going to suffer on this, and not a lot of people have the punch to try and take over in the end. And usually that gives for, for interesting results on Muda Britannia. I recall, indeed, the Dan Martin one. I also recall a, f- a similar finish with VMOs trying something in the last two kilometers. I'm not sure if he won or anything, but it was a similar kind of finish, and then... The attack was a bit earlier than uh, than what we could see with a Dan Martin, for example. So, yeah, I think that it's going more towards the punches with pure acceleration. But would you count out the Roglic on this one? Because I, I dare to put him up there. No, no, I'd have Roglic as a stage favorite for this, for sure. I, I'd expect Roglic to be getting top three in both the first and second stages. Um, he's just so consistent in these stages. I just... It wouldn't even surprise me if through bonus seconds he was in yellow after this stage or Wapanada. I just, it's going to be so interesting and we'll know closer to the time. So interesting to see how Jumbo Visma play it with Wapanada and Roglic. I have my my thoughts on what they should do, um, but we'll maybe get to that for the, when we know closer to the time. But yeah, I think if that 14% pinch in this stage. If I was quick step, I'd play some cards earlier on the earlier climbs, try and send someone up the road, maybe Almeida if he goes, or David, oh, whoever. they got so many different riders that could would try you, and do something. Would you use the bonus point if you, for example, had a ride well, like that? I forgot about that. they got the bonus seconds on the Britannia, yeah, on the first ascension. If I was Philippe, I'd go for it of course, to try and get into yellow. Um, so we'll probably see that. I would expect that to happen. Stage 382.5 Ks to Pont TV from Lorient. We should mention, by the way, that um, – or from Lorient to Pont TV, sorry. We should mention that both of – all these three stages have some sections on the coast in Brittany, so there is a possibility for crosswinds. Uh, but for this stage, three, the sprint stage, the open sections only in the first 50 Ks on the coast, and then they go inland. There's one climb, 1.8 Ks, it's 5.7%. That shouldn't be a problem. This is going to be a sprint stage. The first one, the sprinters' teams are not going to let the breakaway go up the road. Ewan, Bennett, Tamar, they're my picks. <laughs> Pick between those three. Is there anything else really to say for this stage, Benji? Yeah, it's going to be the Wild sprint, I'd say. <laughs> yeah, Wild Van Aert could count depending on if he goes for green or not. But I just it say plainly the sprinters are going to be decisive here. But looking at the final, it's quite interesting because they go into the city of Pontivy. They ride by the water for like, I don't know if that's even a full kilometer. They go over the water, then turn back. And I think in the last like 500 meters, you've got this roundabout that is 
a pretty like oh quite technical yeah, 270 quite technical degree one. turn on that roundabout yeah and i don't know the actual distance from that point onwards because i can't work with this website too well but i um i think that's a pretty technical final to be honest so it's interesting yeah what team is going to be able to come through that with their sprint first but yeah it's it's simple it's quite hard to predict sprint stages so far out, but I think that it's just plainly going to be a sprint for this one. It's not too much more to say about it, I think. I think stage stage four is, is something similar uh, from memory, as I just get it loading. Stage four is from, well, my internet's not good, 151.5 Ks, and this is even more, obviously, a sprint stage inland from Redon to Fougere. Yeah, not that long. Not that hilly, no wind. <laughs> it's a sprint stage. I mean, maybe there could be could be wind. We we pray every day that there could be crosswinds. It circumvents Ren and goes to Fulgare. But yeah, again, same principles apply. Sprint stage. Now, I do want to mention. Remember these? We've had four stages right now before the TT in stage five. Four stages where Wavenart will be should be a favourite to come in the top five for all five of those, all four of those stages. I expect Wavanart to be in yellow by before the ITT. And that is because I hope to God they're letting him contest these sprints and he could be getting the bonus seconds there. Where in these pure sprints in stages three and four, the guys who might have a few bonus seconds on him are Philippe Hirschi, Woods, Roglish, Pogacar from stages one and two will not have those bonus seconds in stages three and four. And same applies to Matthew van der Poel. Matthew van der Poel hasn't really contested a big bunch pure sprint. Well, he didn't in 2020. Um, Terreno is Merlier, and it will be Philipson, I think, in the Tour de France next year. So um, I think Wavanagh will be in yellow before the ITT, personally. This ITT, though, I, lo- I do like this from ASO. Um, in stage five, putting the ITT before the mountain stage. It's 26.5 Ks. It's pretty much flat except for one climb that you might say could be categorized, 1K at 5.2% in the first 1,500 meters from Changer to Laval Espace Mayenne. Seems quite technical, um, quite a few turns and corners. Um, I think... Ghana's probably going to win this st- this stage, presuming that Ineos take him. And if they don't take him, I think Dennis will probably probably win it too if they take him. Um, uh, it's hard to say he'll take. I mean, even a poll looking at this, if it's not Ghana, probably Wout Do you think, Benji, more importantly, that there will be big gaps between maybe Pogatra and Roglic and then the other GC contenders on a medium-length flat ITT? It depends on who's there, really. If you compare it to Landa as an outsider, perhaps, then there's going to be a larger gap between the top GC riders and ITT compared to a Landa. But if you go towards the riders that have a mediocre ITT skill, I totally can't name a single one at the moment, but you're going to see differences. You're, it's a 26.5 Bernal okay? I believe Bernal's pretty okay, to be honest. He had yeah. a pretty rough one on the 20. 819 uh, TDF, the one that Philippe won. And I was surprised that his TT was so mediocre that day. But he's been pretty good all around on time trials in his history. He hasn't performed too many in Grand Tours, obviously. So I'm curious what he's going to be offering because we can't really 
We don't have too much data on his time trial to say that he's going to be good or bad on this kind of time trial. I believe he could do pretty well. He also is at Inyo, so they know how to prep someone to write a time trial. And I genuinely believe that if Bernal is the leader of Ineos or one of the leaders here, he won't lose too much. But I also think that if Thomas is here for Ineos at the same form where he was riding the World Championships ITT in this year, then I believe that he could be gaining a lot of time on GC riders as well. So, yeah, all in all, interesting parkour. I'm liking that there's not this this steep climb in or something because we're always talking about yeah, bike too. change and so forth. And this time around, it's all going to be about the simplicity of the time trial skill. And yep. sometimes that's also fun because then the real time trialists that are more used to the flat parkours have an option as well to try and take it. Exactly. This gives an opportunity to someone like Ghana, Stefan Kung, Dumela maybe to win this stage. Um, I think the riders who will have lost time in the earlier stages on those punchy finishes, Dumela, Thomas, maybe Bernal, etc., they'll have lost bonus seconds. Well, not Bernal, sorry. Dumela and Thomas, I mean. And Port for Ineos, they will gain back time on some of the other riders, maybe not Roglic and Pogaccia necessarily. I think I think Thomas will beat beat those two, Roglic and Pogaccia, by not too much, but and Dumoulin maybe as well. Uh, but I think Roglic will do a good TT here. I'm not sure there'll be too much of a gap between him and Pogaccia on a flat stage 5 ITT for 26.5Ks. I think Port will do okay one. But Quintana will lose time. Alaphilippe will lose time and lose sort of contention for the yellow jersey, I think, and that'll be that'll be it for him. But I do really like this being a an early pre-mountain ITT, especially as it might give Thomas... I don't know, it's maybe not long enough. I, w- I would have liked it to win 40Ks. Personally, I would have liked the really TT specialist guys like Thomas and maybe you can give Avon a Paul more of an incentive to come. I would have, that would have been my choice, but you know, I, still, I still like a pre-mountain ITT. Next stage, stage six, flat sprint stage inland. Um, not much more to say. From Tour de Chateauroux. It seems they're making the sprint stages quite short, so 143Ks. That's going to be a it's going to be a three hour stage, Benji. Maybe other three hours. Um, good for my sleep schedule, I guess. But because I don't think I'll be in Europe next year because of COVID, unfortunately. But yeah, I mean, we don't really have much more to say about that. It'll be one of the sprint boys, or Wout or maybe Matthew Van der Poel attacks. Like, hopefully, I don't know. Uh, it's interesting having someone like Matthew Van der Poel on a team with maybe Merlier and Philipson because we. Both of us, Benji, we, we both think that Vanderpool's not not actually a good lead-out man, right? Like, he's not actually because he's Sergi. Yeah, I think that his main issue is positioning, and that also shows in his lead-outing, because, yeah, that's a word now, lead-outing. That's a new verb. But um, I believe you see that in his preparation for a sprint, taking corners, he tries to duck in the inside corner, but obviously the sprinter in his wheel is unable to do that as well. Otherwise, crashes are going to follow, so... Yeah, he sometimes needs to think more like a person that is taking care of the sprinter behind him than the rider that is trying to effortfully getting his sprinter to the front ASAP. So I think that he needs to find a good balance there to be a good lead-out man. But I do believe he has the ability of doing so. He can do so on a pretty straight road. He can murder the peloton and 
put his leader in a perfect position. I think we saw that in Tirreno this year at a certain stage. Don't remember which one. But he did an okay job from Merlier. He did an okay job yeah. in some of the stages, some of them not so good. Personally, I think I'd use his talents to do a reverse lead out for Philipson. That's what I would do. I would be trying to pick moments to attack. If there's a lull with 1,500 metres, 2,500 metres to go, maybe out of a corner with that corner we spoke about, Benji. It will sound like geniuses if it happened. That corner with 500 metres, that roundabout, why don't Alperson Phoenix let the wheel go, let Vanderpol attack, and then force the other sprint teams to chase? That's what I would do. And then Philipson and uh, Melier can lead out Philipson. Uh, so that's Alperson Phoenix, if you're listening. That's how you should use Vanderpol, I think, for that sprint and for maybe some of the other sprints. Next stage is actually a very big one. This might be one of the longest stages of the Tour de France, stage seven, especially with the uh, they got 3,000 metres climbing. It's pretty much flat for the first 136 k's of this 250-kilometre long stage from Vierzon to Le Creusot. It's Where is this in France, Benji? I mean... Somewhere in the middle. Oh, it's in the middle of France. It goes <laughs> Am I supposed to right in the middle of France. <laughs> you're supposed to. You're closer to there than me. <laughs> this is an interesting stage in that it's got. I mean, I think this is breakaway territory. It's got like five k's, four percent, two k's, seven percent. There's a bonus seconds on the second to last climb. Signal de Luchon, five point seven k's at five point six percent. Then you've got a descent finish into Le Creusot, and. Um, Personally, if I was Mark Hirschi, on one of the, sp- the sprint stage the day before, I would pull off at 40Ks to go and I would <laughs> I would pedal in at 150 watts and lose 15 minutes is what I would do so that I could get in the break for this stage because, I mean, he'd be the favourite from the break in this stage, that style rider. Tim Wellens as well. I mean, I'm thinking those, these, these are the sort of riders. Ruben Guerrero maybe might not be hard enough. What do you think, Benji? Breakaway, or do you think the GC teams will see something in this finish? I don't really see what the benefit is for this finish unless Jumbo Visma take, you know, make my dreams come true and ride the whole Tour de France for Wout van Aert. <laughs> okay, I love your dreams too, to be honest, as a Belgian. But um, looking at the stage, I do agree that a rider like Hirschi could lose time in the earlier stages. After the time trial, because pre-time trial, he should be fighting for yellow, obviously. But after the time trial, then I believe he can lose time on purpose. Indeed, set himself up for breakaway stages and on these kind of stages, strike. But on the other hand, if he's in the breakaway and he spends a day in the breakaway and the GC people decide to go for it, he still has a chance. Because with this final, even from the peloton, I'd put him as one of the top five favorites to take it. So I dare to say that all in all, this stage could go two ways, but a breakaway is more likely because of the long run-in, because it's unlikely that a team is going to decide to take this first 150 kilometers and just control the peloton that way. It also kind of depends <laughs> on the behavior of Alaphilippe, though, because if Alaphilippe goes into the breakaway, then the Koenig is most likely not going to be pacing <laughs> it would be stupid if you pace if Alaphilippe's in the breakaway so they wouldn't do that but if he's not in the breakaway then I see them controlling it to try and take the stage home with Alaphilippe because we saw this year in some of the stage where we did not expect the peloton to control 
that they started controlling it for the likes of a puncher of their team to try and come out on top. So, yeah, it, it all depends on how the race is written, which is the obvious cliche. But I do say that the break has more of an opportunity here. I'm curious what that bonus point is going to be delivering, though, because if a stage like this that looks like a breakaway stage has a bonus point on the second last climb, then I'm not sure what I can expect on that, knowing that it's most likely the breakaway passing that. So maybe a bit of a waste on this game. I mean, personally, if they've got the firepower and Walt Vanard is in yellow and he's got a 30-second buffer, uh, 40-second buffer, if I was Jumbo Visma, I would pace the breakaway back because, and I know that sounds irrational, but you've got two opportunities where Walt Vanard will be the favourite to get the bonus seconds because Vanderpol won't be contesting the bonus seconds at that climb or any other sort of, or Sagan, etc. It'll just be the GC guys. End of 5.7Ks at 5.6%. Will Alphalete be taking them? I mean, probably sprint for the sake of it, but then it's hard. The sprinters' teams will have no interest in controlling this stage because Bennett, Ewan, Ackerman and co, if Bora bring him, even, I mean, to be honest, I would send Sagan in the breakaway, try and get him in the break. Try and get some green, try and get some green jersey points. But then, if he gets in the break, will Yumbo Visma pace because Wild Van Aert's going for green? It's yeah, it's interesting to see what will happen. I think what Yumbo Visma decide to do with their embarrassment of riches will really. I know we talk about them a lot, but it, it defines the race. The strongest team and what they decide to do will define the race because if if Yumbo Visma say in this stage we're not pacing, the break will win, unless some other team decides there's something they really want from it. Um, like uh, maybe FDJ think it's not that hard and DeMarc can win. Who knows? Or Sunweb. But Sunweb, they'll go on the break. So a very interesting stage. I really like it actually because it presents a lot of – this is what Benji mentioned at the top of the podcast. It presents a blank, a good canvas for the riders to try and do something. Maybe it'll be – not so exciting depending on what they decide to do, but it is there if they decide to race it uh, race it hard. Stage eight, we're now the second to last stage before for the rest day. We forgot to, I forgot to mention Emmanuel Buchmann for Bora Hansgrohe. Um, we're now going into stage eight, and he's probably lost a lot of time by now. He'll have lost time to Thomas Dumoulin on the TT. And I see him as you, – you've got to be punchy these days. You know, all these stages, Benji, like where do you see someone like Buchmann or even Richie Port? Like Port's going to have – what? He's going to probably lose time or not gain much time on a rock, which McCatcher in the ITT, maybe lose time in the, on that flat ITT. He's going to lose time, I'd say, on those punchy finishes to the bonus seconds. It's just – do you think this first week really favours the – the punchy GC guys who can TT okay? And do you think that sort of – I think that disadvantages Port and, and Bookman a lot. I'd say Bookman for sure. I, um, I'd i say Port less. He's also a super domestique these days, so it's unlikely that he'll go for GC. <laughs> I don't think so. I think they'll be trying <laughs> to keep trying him. To trigger, in. Yeah. No, no, because Thomas crashes. You ha- if oh you're in your God. Have, you have to You have to bring – a second and third GC option. Well, they're going to have five at the start. When you have Grant Thomas as your leader. <laughs> yeah, true. 
I, I don't know. I, I think Ineos don't deliberately lose time with, with their super domestiques if they can't help it. Unless Thomas has an issue and, uh, you know, Port has to bring him back and sacrifice himself, I think they'll be keeping him as high up on GC as possible going into this this stage eight. Do you, do you not think so? That's what I think Ineos have always done. I feel like Ineos has done a lot with losing time on purpose with with luxury domestic riders to make sure they're peaking in the third week. And I don't think they're going to do that with the likes of Richie Porte, though. So I agree with you on that standpoint. And going to the initial question that you asked. What, sorry? Maybe Martinez, they'll do that instead. I know. It's really hard to expect what Martinez is going to offer them. I don't even know. TT for a Colombian? Sure. Yeah, but still, it's it's really difficult to expect what Martinez will do because he did not reach the potential that was set for him after the Dauphiné because of the crashes he had in every single first stage of a Grand Tour this year. So that's a bit of a bummer for him, but it's also kind of vague into the idea of what Martinez can offer for the squad next year. So I'm, I'm curious what Grand Tour they send him to and also what role he will have in the team because I believe that a rider who has won the Dauphiné would perhaps have the personal willingness to go for GC on a Grand Tour instead of... No, 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 no. I don't believe he's going to go there as a... When you sign on the dotted line at Ineos, you know what you're doing. You know what you're doing when you sign at Ineos. Um, And that's... Get paid good money... You might get some opportunities. You'll be in a professional outfit, outfit, but you get told what to do unless you're the biggest of big dogs and he ain't there yet. So, yeah, I don't know. I'd bring him as a domestique personally. Uh, but anyway, we got to, we got sidetracked. I got sidetracked because this is the first proper mountain stage. 151Ks, finishing on Le Grand Bonheur, stage eight of this year's Tour de France, uh, 2021 Tour de France. And I say I got derailed because we've had so many different stages before this We've had punchy finishes, flat stages, maybe some crosswind and ITT and some rolly terrain and, and a harder midi mountain stage the day before. But this is the first mountain one. Again, the tour has gone with descent finishes. Well, it's not a pure descent finish, but you know what I mean. The, the, it's not a mountaintop finish. And the total climbing in this stage is only 3,500 meters. Yeah. So it's actually not, not that much climbing because it's not that long. It's only 150 k's. They do 5Ks at 6.7% where the break will establish itself and a couple of 5% climbs at about 2Ks long. Then they do the Côte de Mont Saxonais, 5.8Ks at 8.5%. Yama Visma will control that. Col de Rome, 9.1Ks at 9%. That is nasty. That's a real climb. Then they do a short descent and then they do the Col de la Colombier, 7.4Ks at 8.5%, not up to altitude, and this is not the Grand Colombier climb they did this year. Then a sort of up and down descent into Le Grand Bonheur, and then the last K is, uh, oh, I think it has about 50 meters climbing in the last last kilometer, so it's an uphill finish. What do you think breakaway, Benji? I mean, if Yumbo Visma, say Yumbo Visma got one out in yellow still, right? They got him in yellow 45 seconds ahead of Thomas or whoever. Surely they want to let the break go and they want to let those bonus seconds get eaten up and have the stage go as slow as possible on this, right? I agree, but on the opposite side, I do believe that they are the team that does like controlling these kind of stages. 
But looking at the start of the finish, that's what intrigued me the most at the moment, is the fact that they start on an uphill section to the first game of the day, that 5km climb at 6.7%, that's a perfect moment for the break to establish, and that's usually not just a break of two riders that gets away on a climb like that at the start. I believe that those first 5km will be a setup of a large breakaway, perhaps... 20 riders, something like that. I really believe that the large breakaway will get away on this kind of stage. And it is the kind of stage that goes up and down and offers the ability to control it, but also has that valley between 42-ish to 62 kilometers into the stage that might offer an opportunity for the peloton to be like, okay, we're going we're gonna to take a, uh, a urinal break and afterwards we're going to continue onwards and try and control it at five minutes or four minutes, but it will be a bit of a 50-50 for me between a breakaway or the peloton because of that. It's short, it's controllable, but on the opposite side, it's also the perfect stage to start off with a large breakaway to try and counter that control. So you'd need a strong and large breakaway to stay away on this kind of stage because while we're talking about jumbo controlling things, if you're, for example, the team of Ineos with a stronger squad than this year, knowing that Sivakov crashed this year, that Karapaz was not on the form he should be at the Tour de France. Looking at a stronger team and hopefully Sivakov... And UAE too. And UAE indeed, because, well, it's difficult. I still am not sure that UAE has the ideal transfers to get around Pogacar and bring him something on this kind of stage or control it or be against the dominance of Jumbo and Ineos. So I think that UAE will still have a hard time competing with those teams to bring Pogacar an advantage. But it oh, is controllable. Yeah, you disagree? I really I really disagree. Mm-hmm. So, of course, UAE are not as strong controlling a whole stage, controlling a week, controlling a long time. Of course they're not. They don't have those riders to do that. But if they need to launch Bogatia on one climb, they sit in the wheels all day, and then we get to colder run. And this is why I hate that this is not a mountaintop finish because if this was a mountaintop finish, they'd get so much more reward for this strategy. Colder run climb, 9Ks at 9%. You you got Wout Van Aert in yellow. You maybe see Dumoulin you know, under pressure, etc. You've got... Col de la Colombia afterwards, which is the same sort of distance and gradient as the Perasud where Pagacha just launched it. I think on a single climb, UAE can do something with the riders they have. Micah, Mignalti, Formolo, Valerio Conti. Um, yeah, those four riders can really set you up. David, David de la Cruz, he, look at him in Col de la Lose. He's underrated as a domestique, I think. I think UAE can really do something on a climb when they have a strategy of launching Pogaccia early. And we've seen, you know, Jumbo Visma, they can have five guys looking fantastic. Ineos too, five guys all set up. The minute someone goes on the front and really starts to drive it at 6.4 watts per kilo, and then the next guy does that and just burns themselves, those guys could disappear. So I think UAE would be, would, it'd be wise for them to try something there. You've then the only the problem is though, you've got the descent of fifteen kilometers where they can get caught even if they do get a gap of thirty seconds into Le Grand Bonon. 
Now, maybe Benji, this is kind of like the Ludenville stage this year where Bernal, he or she, Pogacar, Port or Lander, someone else, Lander is Lander. Lander, I think, went clear and, uh, and Roglic and Pogacar won the stage just ahead of Hirschi and Roglic. This kind of reminds me of the same profile, but the bonus seconds again at the top of Colombia. But yeah, do you do you think that's do you think Micah, De La Cruz, etc. can do that? Because I, I really do think they can on a particular stage. I think they have the ability of launching Pogacar on Colombs, but I don't think they have the team to control a stage yet. Or and a week, certainly not a I, week. I don't believe that they have the team that should control the race. They're not that kind of exactly. team. And as a consequence, I don't believe that they would be controlling this breakaway or something. I believe that that's up to the riders that are having a dominant team around them. And perhaps if Pogacar is in yellow, then that differs things, because then the team is kind of responsible for for the race, kind of. But yeah, I just don't see it happening at this point yet in the race. So they do have Trentin. Yeah, but don't you think that? Well, I, while I believe that Trentin is going to offer a proper support for Bogachar, I don't believe that he's going to be the rider pacing. Perhaps Michael Bjerg would be the guy that is at the front of the peloton. But we've seen that he can climb a bit. Can he get over these smaller climbs continuously and be of help? That's a different take. I don't know yet. And that's something I'll, I'll need to see in the future for, for just to be sure, to be honest. If UAE had Trentin in the uh, Stage 7 to Laval this year, Pogacar wouldn't have lost all that time in the crosswinds, is my view. Benji, when you're looking at the stage, I know we've dwelt on it for quite a while, do you think they've missed an opportunity here? Because I look at this and I've said all these scenarios about why there could be GC action and why I'd love to see it. But is, is there really the incentive there? And do you think this would have been much better and more exciting as a mountaintop finish? I don't know. I feel like the descent finish might be the advantage of still having a GC action because having this descent means that attacking on the Colombier will only have a descent after it and not a plateau section to the finish or anything. It is not the most straightforward descent in the sense that it's probably still going to need you pedaling but it's better than having a plateau section off the top of a climb. And I think that the climbers that we have these days in Pogacar and so forth have the ability to have a performance on a descent that is perhaps more performance-wise than technique-wise, like the Colombier. And the fact that the bonus gate is on top of the Colombier might spark interest. And we saw Paul Arun this year, a stage that does not have an uphill finish, that had a climb, I think it was with 30k to go or something, 28k to go. I don't know it anymore by heart, but they went for that bonus gate and it was a pretty steep climb and they just went for it and they ended up catching Hirschi just before the line and going for the stage. So, yeah, I believe that this stage could offer GC, but it really depends yeah, on the stage the breakaway. I think that was Ludenville that stage uh, where he or she got, got caught. And you're right, the bonus gate makes the, the creates an incentive for the GC teams to pace. It means the sprintier climbers 
you know, like Roglic and Magacha could get a separation. Say they get five seconds over the top of the climb, they can collaborate on the descent, and then it's collaborating group against collaborating group, like we saw on that stage. The next stage, another mountaintop finish. Oh, sorry, the first proper mountaintop finish to Tinya. It's not very long, 144.5Ks. It's got 4,600 metres of climbing, I think. A lot of climbing compared to the day before. It's all up and down all day. We've got 3Ks at 8%, 1K at 8.5%, 10Ks, Coldices at 6.3%. I think they used that this year. They've got Col du Pre, 12.5Ks at 8%, Cornet de Rosalin, 6Ks at 6.6%, longish descent of about 20Ks, short a valley of 10Ks. Then the climb to Tinia, which is 20.9Ks at 5.6%. There's some steeper paths. It's a bit of a fake news climb, actually. You might have to get that printed on a T-shirt, this profile. Um, but then it flattens out in the last, oh, from 2Ks to go till 500 metres to go, and then it's slightly uphill again to the finish. I think this is going to be a GC day because it's so short. The breakaway won't be able to get so much of an, event, of an advantage. Um and I think there'll be a battle, but I don't really expect massive time gaps because it's not a long stage. If it's a short stage, we've seen the shorter the stage, the shorter time gaps are on a mountaintop finish. And it's not high, high altitude, 2,100 metres. Col de la Lose was, I think, 2,300 metres. And it was really in that last 150 metres of elevation where Lopez came into his own against Pogaccio and Roglic. They aren't that tired, and this is after... This is before the uh, first rest day, I think. I think, yeah, GC guys will win, but I don't think there'll be big time gaps. Do you want to bet me, Benji, what's your bet? Do you think there'll be someone who will win this stage by over 30 seconds? I reckon there's no chance. Yeah, it's going to be hard to have that happen, to be honest. (laughs) I don't see it happening. (laughs) It is just typically the kind of stage that is indeed not steep, but also it's the kind of stage that I think I would compare to... Hmm, what was the climb again? Was it was it Montegual that Roglic won in a sprint? <laughs> of the climb? Yeah, Montegual, that had, a, that had a longer plateau section, I think, and yeah, not course. up to altitude. But, but yeah, he, Ineos, Ineos paced really slowly to try and protect... Bernal and they're having an off day. We might see them trying to do something similar on this for Thomas. Is that what you're thinking? Yes, but I also just in general, there's like one part of the stage. It's the fact that while it's 140 kilometers, I still believe that the Comedo was is not an ideal climb to have before Tinye. I would have loved Coldizahan a bit more, a bit of a longer climb, a bit of a a climb that offers more of an opportunity to hurt the group a bit more. And if the likes of Jumbo control the pace for a whole Isahan, compared to a Col de Pré and Cormetros alone, there's going to be a difference in that. And I feel like having Tinia in a stage without Isahan is just uh, it's heresy. But Tinia at the end of the stage, this is not just the Tinia part that they were supposed to do in 20... What was it again? 2019? Yes, when they cancelled half that stage at the end of the Tour de France. And they've got that Monte de Tinia part on it. And I think that Monte de Tinia part is a, a part that I didn't have too much knowledge on how it was written. The first part of that Tinia section is not so steep. That second part is longer, the Monte de Tinia part of it. 
And it's also not really on the level where you would be like, oh, they're going to be, yeah, they're going to be having a hard time here. But it's also not super easy. We start off with 6.2% in the first kilometer of that second part of Tinye. And the second kilometer of that is 9.8. And I think that is the moment where attacks could follow on this on this stage. But the issue here lies in the fact that I don't think it will happen. And the reason that I don't think it will happen is that I think Jumbo will control the stage. and Or, or any else. It really depends on who's at the highest level next year. Because we're calling out Jumbo because Jumbo was dominant this year. But it could just switch around with the click of a button next year. Because of, for example, what if Roglic has an injury just before the Tour de France, then everything switches around. So, what I'm talking yeah, but even if it's even if it's Ineos, I think it's controllable. Even if it's Ineos, they want to do the same thing, right? Because they Thomas is kind of similar to Roglic. He's the closest comparison. TT guy, kind of good on the uphill finishes. They don't want to do the highest VAM possible. So. I think Ineos, if it's Ineos with Thomas Say in yellow, they'll also be wanting to control things. What about Naira Quintana? If I was Naira Quintana, I would make sure I've lost a lot of time up to this point. You probably will with the TT. And I would uh, have a late attack. Same with like our theories with Vlasov and Nijiro. If I'll be picking Quintana to win this stage because if he attacks in the last three kilometres really hard and he's 15 minutes behind on GC, no one will chase him. Like it's going to be the same theory with Vlasov this year at the Giro. Um, so I'd be going with Quintana sort of guy to win this stage. Someone who will lose a lot on GC but is actually capable of winning it. What about Lopez? Where's Lopez? Has he changed teams? Has he gone to Movistar? Uh, it's, is it confirmed yet? I don't think it's fully confirmed yet, but it's in the running. So um, he was perhaps joining Again, same Movistar, principle so applies to him. Yeah, but I uh, I don't see it happening. I don't see a attack stick on this. I do believe that it could happen, but then the teams that are controlling would be in trouble. I also am not really sure that Thomas will be the leader of Ineos. You keep on saying it with the time trial and such, but I don't believe knowing that Bernal won the Tour de France is the last of the people at Ineos, that Bernal is going to be like, oh, sure, go ahead. You can ride the, uh, the Tour de France. And Thomas was clear this year. He said that he didn't want to ride for Bernal at the Tour de France, and that's why he went to the Giro. So, yeah. I think Fair point. I mean, if it's Bernal, if Bernal is their leader, you're right. They've got, to, they've got to crank it on this climb and try and put Roglic and Pogaccia under pressure. It's a 4,500-meter climbing stage. They've got to get some pain in the legs of Roglic, tie him out, um, and just try and expose. And even Koos. I think Koos is suffers the same sort of thing if you you got to put more pressure on him as much as possible so that he can't be helping Roglic the entirety of um yeah entirety of the Tour de France same with Pagacha too I think Pagacha himself he's not no one's immune from a bad day and I think Pagacha as well he, he can get dropped on stages it's possible especially up to altitude we saw it up to Col de la Lose. then they have the rest day then they have stage 10 186 kilometers finishing in Valence from Albertville. And yeah, it pretty much looks like a Milano San Remo in 186 kilometers to me. Um, I think it'll be a sprint stage. I think the sprinters will be licking their lips after the rest day and a few, a week of not having anything for them. 
and it's going to be the sprinters again. You think the breakaway can try and get something going, Benji, and and steal a march? I don't know. It, it depends on the motivation of the sprint teams. Yes, I think so as well. I think that the stage is not hard enough to drop the sprinters per se. The climbs are looking like it's a difficult climb, but looking at the percentages, we start off with the first scam of the day is 12.4 kilometers of climbing. Ooh, difficult climb. But then we look at the percentages and it's 2.8%. Then it's a bit wobbly that we have sections in there that is basically flat in the middle. Then the second climb of the day is 4 kilometers at 3.6%. And the last one, 5.5 kilometers at 3.8%. So yeah, those three climbs aren't going to do it for dropping the real sprinters, I would be saying. So I think if a sprint team control this stage, then it's going to the sprinters. And it's very unlikely that a sprinters team will say, oh, we don't want this stage. So despite the parkour looking like an ideal parkour for a breakaway, I don't believe it's far enough into this ground tour to have sprinter teams be nonchalant about it. Sprinter teams will want to go for this one, and therefore I think that a sprint will win in Valence here. And especially when you look at the next stage, they won't be saving their legs or they, there's no pure sprint stage in the next day for them to really get excited about. Stage 11, this is one, there's been a little bit of hype about this, actually, uh, 200 kilometers long. It's the double normal two stage, 4,600 meters accumulated climbing across the stage and they do both sides of Mont Ventoux, starting in Sour, finishing in uh, Malusen. So if you don't know Mont Ventoux, there's the traditional side, which is the first ascent, 24.6K is at 5% average gradient, uh, but the last part of it's much steeper, I think 7%, and it goes up to about 1,882 metres, so not a high altitude climb. But by the way, there's a lot of K1 points on offer on this stage, and uh, I think we'll be seeing Guillaume Martin, I mean, he'll be in the breakaway every day. I think Martin will be going for breakaways and K1 jersey. But anyway, that, that first ascension comes with a crest 122 Ks in, descent, valley, and then the harder side, 15.8 Ks at 8.5%. I'm not sure what the climbing record is on that, but it's going to be quite a long climb, um, probably 40 minutes, I'd say, 43 minutes. And then that, but this is the part I don't like about it again, descent finish. And I think it's quite a technical descent into Malasen. And I think it's a, ooh, what is it? 22 kilometer long descent so there's bonus seconds on the top of the second ascent of mobile two it's very steep i think i think a gc guy will be winning this stage and uh, i think they might be able to make a gap over the top but they might get it brought back a little bit and they might be yeah they might be holding a little bit in the chamber because of that descent but i don't know it depends how steep the descent is how technical it is who is the guy that's gone clear, I think Bernal is a better descender than Roglic, and he'd be able to keep that gap pretty nicely. Pagacha is okay. I think Bernal's actually better than both of them. Thomas is obviously not as good as any of them at descending, so he'll just be on the defence here. That's the thing. Thomas will be on the defence if he's the GC leader so much. Not up to high altitude. I don't know, Benji. It's hard to say. It's hard. We don't know what the team composition will be. Um, is this perfect for, like, Vlasov and... And Dumoulin, if Dumoulin was in magic form, is this the sort of stage he'd be, or climb he'd be doing well on? No, on paper, yes, but I'd rather point at Vlasov, to be honest, because I feel like Vlasov has growth potential compared to Dumoulin, of which we know what his peak lies at. And 
He said that he was writing his numbers from the past, so we have to believe it this year. And as a consequence, I'm saying that, for example, of Lozov would perhaps have the potential next year to come out. But I also think we are not looking at Sivakov enough, even as a leader, because at Tudelin this year, at Dauphiné this year, he was the second strongest throughout Red Ineos, and at certain points was stronger than Bernal, I think, in the Dauphiné. So I believe that Sivakov might be the surprising leader as well, and he can time trial as well. So, yeah, very curious how that Ineos team is going to line up. We've been talking about it a lot, but I haven't spoken about the fact that Vlasov might actually end up being, uh, I mean, uh, what's his name? Sivakov might be ending up as their leader. And we're talking about Vlasov as if he's riding for Astana next year. We don't know that. Apparently, he is looking to go for Ineos as well. So, he might be breaking his contract, and oh and we might be in more trouble to try and figure out who of their riders might be going for this Grand Tour. But um, I think that Sivakov might generally come out on top in Ineos by this Tour de France. Do you wish but... he was a mountaintop finish? What, sorry? Do you wish he was a mountaintop finish? No, I don't, because I find it interesting, and I like descent you, finishes. Oh, I'm so disappointed. But, I'm so disappointed in you. Ah, I, I'm not, but I am disappointed about so one thing, is the fact that you try and make a stage with Two Morvan 2s, but the first Morvan 2 won't do a single thing. Who will go on that? That's they why. But that's why. That's why. You put. You make it a little bit longer, flatter section at the start. You make it the second one a mountaintop finish. You put bonus seconds at the top of the first one to make them race it properly. And trust me, fireworks. They yeah, get a 220 kilometer stage. You forget one important Sorry, detail. Between the Vaughn 2, you've got the magnificent climb of the Madeleine. <laughs> yeah, do that first. One point seven kilometers at four point two percent. Oh, that that Madeleine. Okay, different color of Madeleine, right? <laughs> it's it's fairly the same one, a, but. <laughs> <laughs> so, for the people that obviously can't see the profile on a podcast, you've got Devon Twos, and in between there's this valley of eleven kilometers, and there's a small hill in the middle that is named the Cola Madeleine because, well, quite generally, that's where the Cola Madeleine is, but. Because you're in between the two Vantus, it doesn't look like it. So, very interesting way to actually categorize it as the Cold Lamad land with a, with a simple climb of 1.7 kilometers at 4%. But, yeah, it's a meme, I guess. <laughs> but, yeah, I think that you're right on, on the fact that putting the bonus gate on the first one Vantu and getting the second one to be a top finish would change it a lot. But, on the other hand... I don't see in 2020 a team attacking on that first move on two or a rider attacking on that first move on two, knowing that the percentages are not hard enough to not control it with a dominant team, survive the valley alone or with a satellite rider or two, and then also take on a 15.8 kilometer climb afterwards. If you know a 15.8 kilometer climb is coming, you won't attack on that climb before. You just don't do that. I haven't seen that in ages. And Oh, no, it's more just the accumulated fatigue and making them race the first climb harder. Yeah. I, I like it, but I would have loved to see perhaps a better usage of a special double Vaughn 2 stage because now I feel like that first Vaughn 2 stage could have been any climb and is not going to cause any fireworks anyway. So, yeah. I think there's a practical reason why they've they have to do a descent finish. So I can we can say I so should have changed all we want, but 
we don't actually have to make the stage. Apparently, they can't get the, the, all the buses and stuff up there or something, uh, or it's difficult to get all the buses up there. So it's easier to finish down in the valley in a, in a bigger town is the uh, the general – is why often we see so many downhill finishes because it just – from a logistics perspective, it's a lot easier. The next stage, low-key interesting, and this is why – I've always been so big on Wat Van Aert being able to do what he wants. 161Ks to Nîmes. It looks like, okay, it's not that much climbing, but it's still 2,000 metres. We've got three easy categorised climbs, you know, 1K at 5%, 4Ks at 5%, 4Ks at 3%. We've got a flat finish in Nîmes. But, um, yeah, I just wish <laughs> I just wish Jumbo Vismal freed Wat Van Aert to uh, yeah, to attack late in these stages. If there's a if De Koenig or someone is looking weak, again taking bonus seconds, etc. But I think this will probably be this will probably be a sprint stage. I would say um, depending. But again, we've got the Monvo two stage the day before. Maybe the sprint teams are really tired, so that we could actually see a breakaway. You just go down to the wire with a flatland breakaway. Um, so I think it's quite a good stage. I quite like them having this after Mont too. I think this is going to be a plain sprint stage. And really? I feel like the parkour is kind of misleading. It looks like it's quite hilly. But if you look at the height meters, it's yeah, it's climbs of like 200 meter. At the, like the last climb, 3.9 kilometers at 2.9%. You won't drop many sprinters on a 3% climb of 4 kilometers. That's unlikely and as a consequence i do believe that nim could genuinely be a a sprint finish it is in a region in france going towards the Côte d'azur and therefore i don't expect echelons to really be of service here so i think that is going to be a plain sprint stage and yeah i i just don't see a breakaway staying away here i feel like it's an opportunity for Sprint teams and sprint teams won't allow these kind of stages to just disappear for a breakaway. Next stage, 220Ks from Nîmes to Carcassonne. Pretty good no transfers, I don't think, uh, for these few stages. Pretty well organized. 2,000 meters climbing, but this is, I agree, that for this stage, this is 100% a sprint stage. There's just no real deciding climbs. I know it's long, but... I think that actually counts against the breakaway, to be honest. Um, yeah, do you see anything differently, Benji? Is there any any green jersey thing in here that's interesting? Is there any – we haven't really mentioned that yet. Is the timing of the, the points, the intermediate sprint? Do we have the intermediate sprint points we yet? Don't. We don't know that. We don't. Okay, that's why we haven't spoken about it. <laughs> that's your excuse now. <laughs> we just forgot, okay? <laughs> but um, looking at the profile, 221 kilometers – yeah, the height's not too crazy. I see this as a sprint then, like you said, most likely because of the fact that the sprinter teams are going to control this. There's not too many riders that are willing to go into a breakaway that is on a stage as long as this one. We had a bit of a, a fight in the Giro about long stages like this. This one's a bit shorter though, than 258 kilometers, but all in all, it's, all in all, it's a similar fashion and it is yeah when it comes to breakaway stage i often want to see at least a few hills to try and shaken things up and make sprinter teams doubt themselves and 
while there are hills on the profile we're looking at, they are a bit misrepresenting that in the last 100 kilometers of the stage, there is no hill that goes above 2%. So, yeah, I see the peloton taking control here and trying to take another stage win. But um, is that something similar for you? Okay. Yeah, I agree. So next stage, stage, what is this? Where are we up to? Stage 14. I think we're getting next near to the last rest day from, what is it? Carcassonne, no transfer again to Quillain. This just looks like the Mark Hershey stage win stage yes. all over again. This looks, this is, this is breakaway written all over it. There's not enough incentive for the GC to really do anything. 184Ks. They'll be thinking about the mount stages to come. We've got continual climbs of, 4Ks at 8%, 7Ks at 5%. The last climb is 5Ks at 7%. None of this seems hard enough to really, for there to be any reward or the reward there to pace all day. Not that long either. I think it's breakaway. Welland, he or she, Guerrero, Carapaz, if he's lost a lot of time, I don't know. Maybe Ineos decide to free him. Who knows? But break. I just marked this down for the breakaway. Um, yep. I agree. Leonard Cam- Leonard Kamner, similar stage to what he won. Yes, in some way, I um, I feel like Kamner might need a bit of a longer climb to get rid of the punchy types, and this stage is indeed purely a breakaway stage for me. And like I said, I need hills to define something as a transitioning stage, as a breakaway stage, and it's purely for the breakaway riders. GC riders won't be controlling this one un- unless there's something crazy going on in GC where it's divided by seconds and they have to fight on the bonus gate of that last climb. But still, highly impossible, highly unlikely. Impossible is never a thing in cycling. Everything's possible and everything's unpredictable towards the end. But I'd say that this stage is leaning towards a breakaway stage. And like you say, the types like Hirschi, like Alaphilippe will try here as well. Um... Yeah, those type of riders will be in the breakaway. What, sorry? Yeah, Alphalip's a good call. I think, yeah, he'll have... I think think he'll have lost a lot of time by this point. I think he knows he can't really contest GC in this this TDF, so he'll be going for stage wins like this year. And we've got our Henry-Henri de Grange stage next. I think this is the last stage before the second rest day. It is stage 15, 191 Ks, pretty long. And I'm I'm worried, Benji, because this stage goes into Andorra. I mean, we don't know what will happen with COVID, but Andorra is obviously not in France. It's a uh, oh, I'm going to offend some people here. It's its own country. I'm pretty sure it's not. Yes, or is it an autonomous region of Spain? It's its own country officially. Sorry, any Andorrans. And they yeah maybe maybe they have a closed border to France. I don't know if they have a closed border to Spain. Who knows? Um, so maybe this is subject to change depending on the COVID situation. I hope not. And I think maybe it won't be, but who knows? Um, it's got 4,500 metres of climbing again. So this is, I'd say there's more accumulated climbing in this Tour de France than this year. I'll have to go and do the maths and do my homework properly for you. And I will closer to the time, but I'm feeling like these are more, yeah, just more climbing that they're doing. No real. Long climbs in the first 60Ks, 6Ks at 3%, 4Ks at 4% where the breakaway will establish itself. And they're all very gradual. Just That's what characterizes this stage. Very gradual climbs. 
12.5 Ks at 5.5%, 7.8 Ks at 4.6%, short descent. Then they do the Paul de la to Paul Danvalera. I struggle with that one. It's where the uh, it's the highest point of this year's Tour de France 2021, 2400 meters altitude. But it's only a 10.7 K climb at 6%. So is that long enough? for Bernal and co or Lopez or the altitude specialist to be trying anything. You've then got a 21-kilometer descent. Then they do the Col de Bexale, 6.6Ks at 8.3%, then a descent into Andorra. And, I mean, who knows? Maybe if someone cracks because of the accumulated climbing or the altitude, but it's a long time to catch up, Benji. From the crest of the Henri de Grange, it's 45 k's to the finish so yeah what are you expecting from this stage maybe even a, a breakaway or do you think the gc team it depends i guess it depends on what the gc teams want to do while i love the look of the profile it just looks great if you look at it for me personally you've got a stage that starts off quite flatter goes up on the first climb then has its second climb that is a bit in two peaks like you say with the primoral and then that and I think that the main concern for me is not per se that it's so far from the line, but that the descent after the top of the Andalira is 21 kilometers at looks like 3% descent or something, 4% descent. It doesn't look steep. And as a consequence, I think that it's that kind of descent where you need to keep pedaling. And if you need to keep pedaling, then you use energy. So it counters the potential offenses on that main climb and therefore i think that gc riders might genuinely wait for the last climb to happen yeah it's difficult to to kind of predict what will happen on this kind of stage i believe that i'm not holding my breath we're not i can tell i can tell you're not holding your breath for yeah. a massive massive gc action either i don't I think. love it because the profile looks amazing but it's unlikely it just seems like the stage counters any early offense despite, yeah, just in general, because I feel like the big climb of the day is too far from the last climb of the day to offer an opportunity for a jump. And the fact that the bonus gate is on the last climb of the day, people might be waiting for that climb to happen. And yeah, I find it really hard to look at the stage and expect GC riders to everything on the line on the second last climb i believe that the last climb is going to be the place and if that is the case then i'm then i'm really wondering whether the break will just not take it because yeah i'm just gonna say it break is gonna win i don't know why a team would control it knowing that there is that descent between the big climb and the last climb that offers nothing to go on the first climb. And additionally, that 21-kilometer descent allows most likely the Peloton dominant team to rest a tiny bit while the breakaway has an opportunity to extend their lead towards the next climb, to make it just enough to get over that climb and fast, and then dive into the last final descent and go for the stage win. I believe the stage is going to be won by the breakaway. Uh, it depends on the composition of the break because that's the thing, right? You, you say, oh, a breakaway can win, but then it's like, okay, well, who is good enough to 
smash these climbs in the break that wouldn't be up there on GC. It's a very short list of riders and it's Quintana if he's lost, had a crash or something and lost loads of time. Lopez, Kemner maybe, um, who knows? Maybe, but maybe they get, they're allowed to have 15 minutes because Yumbo Vizmini or Spora, whoever, can't be bothered pacing. That goes into the – but then we're going into the second rest day after that, so maybe they're wanting to try and – people are trying to gain some time back before that rest day. Rest day, then stage 16, 170Ks from Padlacas to Saint-Gorin. This is just screaming breakaway to me. And if Wavonat somehow was still close on GC, <laughs> I would be pacing if I was Jumbo Visma to win this stage. We've got three – Three defined climbs, 16, the Col de Port, 16.1Ks at 5%, Col de la Corse, 14Ks at 6.3%, and the Col de Porte, d'Aspès, 5.6Ks at 6.7%. And then about 7.5Ks from the finish, they have the Col d'Aspès, Sarra, 1.2Ks at 5.5%. So these climbs, none of them would be worrying Wout and if they're not worrying Wout it means they're not really hard enough for someone even like Pogaccio to get traction you know six percent is with 70k to finish what it was what are you going to do with that you know um 3,000 meters climbing in the stage so I think it's going to be a controlled stage from the GC teams there's no bonus gates I think breakaway again like why what why would the GC teams pace this stage Benji unless they maybe wanted to get some bonus seconds back no I don't see too much reason in that either I believe Similar ways to you that the stage is going to be most likely leaning towards a breakaway because just the valleys between the climbs as well is not something that a breakaway team wants to go full on in to try and get towards a a breakaway. But also, it's just odd to start on a climb and have like a 25-kilometer descent at the start of a stage because... In a descent, I don't believe the break will form. I think that it's more likely going to be in the valley before the Col de Port. And I think the Col de Port itself will also be a part of forming the breakaway. And a GC team is not going to control a breakaway that it's not having dangerous riders. We're now in the final week, stage 16, so it can have dangerous riders, but it's not an ideal stage to go on the fast climb and try and survive till the end as a as a rider who wants to take back time on GC, so it's gonna be a okay. Let, let me yeah. Let me let me disagree with myself. Let, let me describe a scenario to you. Primoz okay. Roglic is fifteen seconds down on Pagacha. He's on the same time as Bernal. He has been dropped by Pagacha and Bernal on the high altitude climbs, not badly, but he's lost maybe ten seconds apiece. But he's destroyed them in the stages one and two. He's destroyed them in the sort of uphill hilltop finish sprints. I would love to see that scenario and Yumbo Visma thinking we need to go for the ten bonus seconds or whatever no. the bonus seconds are at the finish. That, that that you know, obviously the race has to set that up for that to happen. But I think that's a possibility where Yumbo Visma realise if Roglic can't gain his characteristic week one buffer that they have to do something different like that do you think that's a possibility uh it's very very unlikely to me because you've got this just before a huge mountain stage that is seen by many riders as a queen stage in this uh, by many people as a queen stage in this grand tour because it's kind of missing a real queen stage 
And this being just before a stage like the one we're going to describe in a second with major climb at the end, it's unlikely that a team like Jumbo is going to use their their riders in full force to try and bring home a 10-second GC thing versus yeah, versus not doing it. So I don't see it happening. I don't see it happening, and also because while it is a bit of an uphill sprint in the end, who says that if a team like Jumbo is roughly controlling the pace, that he or she does not survive the climbs. They're not that insane. So I see it happening. He probably would. Roglic would probably be swamped in the end if he tries that. True. I was just hoping for something different. (laughs) (laughs) Stage 17, this is the stage, if you're a pure climber, not the best time trialist like Bernal, like... Bernal, then <laughs> they're all kind of good. <laughs> Mainly Bernal. Um, this is where you need to gain some time on Pogaccia, Roglic, and even, yeah, Dumoulin if he's going okay. 178Ks, not that much. Oh, again, 4,300 metres climbing, but flat for the first 112Ks. Then the Petersud, which you're familiar with, 12.7Ks at 7%. Then the Col de Valorant, 7.5 k's at 7.7%. By the way, descents and then flat valleys between these, between all of these, this is just a classic Tour de France, like polarized mountaintop finish stage. Then the probably one of the biggest mountaintop finishes, 16 or the hardest one, 16.3 k's at 8.6% from Saint-Louis. I can't pronounce that whole climb. Col de Porte. It's Col de Porte climb. Um, <laughs> you cheated by I think just Poggy- doing it. <laughs> I think Poggy Boy, Poggy Boy, going to be doing some stuff on this climb, and Bernal better be helping him. It'd be interesting to see if Roglic is ahead of those guys by maybe say this could this could happen, right? Roglic is thirty seconds ahead of Pogacar and Bernal. Sorry, thirty seconds ahead of Pogacar and a minute and ten ahead of Bernal because of the TT stuff. Pogacar attacks Bernal, follows. Does Pogacar work with Bernal? He should. He should on this climb and to try and distance Roglic. Can Koos, how will Koos go chasing it back? Oh, I can't wait to see what will happen. I'm prepared to be disappointed for nothing to happen, but we believe in Pogacar. He is an aggressive rider, um, so I think he will be mixing it up. Even on Col de la Lose, where he lost time to Roglic, he actually attacked or tried to set something off de la Cruz with 4Ks to go. Um, but yeah, GC, GC guys winning this right, Benji. Yes, and I think that Col de Porte is indeed one of the major climbs of this whole Tour de France. Perhaps not, yep. perhaps the hardest, I would say, because looking at the profile, the first kilometer of that 15.7 kilometer climb is 16.2% <laughs> on average that first what? kilometer. And then you go towards 9%, 95 9.8, 10.1, 9.6. And then it starts becoming easier but not easy 6.1 and then 8.1 again 6.3 then a kilometer at 8.7 9 8.8 8.4 and then towards the end you've got an easier kilometer but also not easy again seven percent and the final two kilometers are 9.3 into a tunnel and then the last kilometer is 8.3 percent so this whole climb is excruciating all the way through it's not like you've got sections that are easier i feel like 
it's kind of crazy how the start of that climb is just 16.2% because that might just destroy half the peloton in the first kilometer and then you will see a smaller group continue forward from that point onwards. And the profile of this whole route, this whole profile of uh, this stage looks a bit like the Anglier stage in the Vuelta where you've got two climbs before you get to the actual climb of the day. Usually those first two climbs don't offer as much as people hope for. And that's why I prefer in Grand Tours that a larger climb is put before a smaller climb because that puts the offensive on the larger climb and the second climb is then used to, well, try and have mano a mano fights from the people that attacked on the first bigger climb. And on this stage, you won't see any action on the first two climbs most likely because why would you attack on the second last climb knowing that the Col de Portel, 15.7 kilometers at 9% is coming? So... Action will oh, be no, they won't attack, but they'll drive it. Yeah, they'll drive they it, but... The team, the team that's back on GC will have to drive it on those climbs. You, you yeah, can't wait to the last climb. You, you have to put them under pressure on the earlier climbs. A bit um, of attrition, to like be honest. Like we saw when Wild Van Aert dropped to Milan. It's on the point of So, um, yeah, I mean, I hope something will happen. I hope. Because, again, the next day... 130k stage stay this is not that hard stage 18 3500 meters climbing but it's it's not that hard a mountain top mountain stage same with stage 17 there's i would personally personally i would rather and i'll talk about it now i would rather they made the tt's longer and gave more preference to thomas and Dunla on those tt's and they made this just a sprint stage but then made stage 17 just obscenely hard. That's, I mean, maybe that's a bit uh, sadistic, but I wish they'd, or maybe they'd use the Isara on the, uh, the stage you said they should have, Benji, and, and just made one of these stages properly hard for, the, for a mountain, for a pure climber, um, whereas they're all kind of missing a, an extra climb. And this is a classic one, 130Ks, pretty much flat, then they start with 78Ks, the Col de Tourmalet, 9Ks at 8.5%. Descent, Louvardiden, 13.4Ks at 7.5%. I don't expect big GC gaps, to be honest. I mean, we've been conditioned for a long time to not expect big GC gaps on stages like this, and I don't expect anything different. Um, it's not up to altitude unless Lance drops his chain or something again. Something like that happens on Louvardiden, like... And this is going to be almost the last throw of the dice, Benji, for the mountain guys. I mean, stage stage 19, I think from memory, whilst it, I think that's not a mountain stage. So this is yes. really, this is the last throw of the dice for um, for Egan Bernal. Am I missing something? Like, Nope. Correct. How is he going to gain back? Say he's on the same time as Roglic and Pogacar, that's not enough. Or a, a similar style rider, he's gonna. Is this stage really hard enough for anyone to gain thirty seconds, forty seconds? I believe it can be. I feel like this is a good setup of a stage. To be honest, you've got a climb like the Tourmalet that is nine point one kilometers at eight point eight percent. But before that, you've got a bit of a false flat area towards that climb. On the climb itself, we are looking at a potential fight already because I think that. Riders will open it up on the Tourmalet here. And it is dependent on who's behind. If a rider like Pogi is behind, then I see him exploding on Tourmalet already. 
and not waiting for Luzardi then. And if, for example, yeah, it's hard to name anybody else. If Bernal's behind as well, he will have to do it on Tourmalet as well already. So I expect action on Tourmalet. I believe that that is very much possible. It is a historical climb. People won't just leave the Tourmalet and be like, oh, we're just going to ride over it and head towards the final climb and ride Luzardi then. I believe that Luzardi then is perhaps not hard enough for people to gain enough time if they're behind. So they will have to open up on Col de Tourmalet and perhaps it would have been better to even put a bonus gain on top of Tourmalet. That'd be amazing. Like, just force it a bit more. But the annoying thing is that in this part of the ground tour, a bonus gate might not be enough incentive for GC to open up on Col de Tourmalet, but I think there will be incentive enough knowing that a lot of riders will be on a bit of a gap and will have to open it early on this kind of stage. There is a final mountain stage as well. I don't think the stage will disappoint. At least I hope so, but profile-wise, I, I believe so. there's a good setup. I mean, it'll be interesting to see. If It, it all depends, as we said, if Roglic, Pogaccio, who's back on GC, Bernal, um, who's third favourite, I think, who's behind on GC. If you know, what's, you know what is interesting, Benji, which I think will be funny, what if Roglic is ahead on GC by 20 seconds, we've got a stage 20 TT, and Jumbo Visma just are happy with that, and maybe they see that, they could go for bonus seconds, but they let the break go or something. I don't know. I can just imagine it happening all over again where Roglic, because I, I don't imagine Roglic is going to go into that TT with a massive gap. Do you? I mean, let, let's get to that in a second. But stay, sorry, stage stage 19, transition stage, pretty flat. I think it's 1,100 metres climbing. It's a sprint stage. I think the sprinters will take it out unless they – can't be bothered, but I think they will be. I mean, it depends. They might be tired, but yeah, sprint stage for me. Um, but stage, um, stage twenty. This is what I really like. Again, and they've. I mean, we saw how exciting stage twenty ITT was last year, but I like that this is flat. Thirty point five k's, pretty flat. I think it's oh, two hundred meters climbing overall, so not much. From Le Bon to Saint Emilion, it's not that technical, to be honest. 30.5k ITT, Thomas, Dumoulin, Roglic, Pogaccia, Bernal, Buchmann, who knows who else will be up there, Remco if he goes, Wout van Aert. Do you think Roglic, even in a best-case scenario for Jumbo Visma, I don't think he can be going into this TT with a massive gap. I still think how I, there's no way in my mind, unless Pogaccia has a big issue where he gets split on a stage and on a flatter stage, etc. I don't see how he can be going into this TT with more than a a forty five second lead, yeah. a minute lead on on Baga- on Roglic. On yeah, Baga- I agree, Just- and I agree because comparing this Grand Tour to the uh, Tour de France of this year of twenty twenty, then I believe that this Tour de France so far has had mountains, but they all seem to be mountains that have a a steady gradient. You don't have Primari-like climbs that go to such high percentages. And as a consequence, I think that the likes of Roglic will have a bit of a disadvantage to the climbers that are more the climbers that you would expect on more steady gradients. And I think that compared to this Tour de France of 2020, that's going to be the main difference towards that Grand Tour. Because I recall just more than once 
saying during the Tour de France 2020 that Roglic was actually a rider that perfectly fitted with the parkour. Pogacar as well. We didn't know Pogacar was that good at time trawling yet. We knew he had a bit of a preparation, but always had in mind that Roglic fit so perfect with the parkour this year. And if we compare that to 2021, then it still fits him because the climbs are relatively hard. Porte is going to be the one where I think Roglic would perhaps fit as well, but then again, it goes above 2K and is perhaps the hardest climb of the Grand Tour. So could also lean to the purest of climbers. And I think that Roglic is missing, like I said, the likes of Fuimari or climbs like that to make an on-climb difference on others. I could be wrong, of course. So um, There's nothing steep. There's no like... Yeah. There's no three Ks at eleven percent finish where he gap he can get a gap on Thomas and Port easily, which he did in this year's Tour de France. Oh, I can't remember which climb it was where he dropped Bernal. I think stage thirteen is that the one? Yeah, yeah. They're, they're his bread and butter, and they don't have them this year. So I'm expecting the GC gaps. Well, I mean, I have my views on who's going to win this Tour de France already, but. I even think best case for Roglic is not going to be big GC gaps, which is why this stage 20 ITT is magic. I can't wait for it. There's going to be, hopefully everyone's really close, but we've had action beforehand. And yeah, there'll be people fighting to defend podium, people trying to move up places. I, I just can't wait for it. I think it's going to be great. Stage 20, anything else from that, Benji? I mean, flat on a flat ITT, I think we think Pogacar and Roglic are probably closer in ability than on a Rolly TT or Climby one. I think Pogacar is better, but st- those stage 20 demons, it's going to be good for the memes. It's going to be good for the YouTube content. Hopefully I've got an exciting announcement. Read that for you soonish. But, yeah, I can't wait. Who do you think is going to win the TT? I'm going to make you pick someone. <laughs> the actual time trial itself. Yeah, the stage. I've gone for what? Why not? Ah, oh, fuck. <laughs> I'm going for Gano. <laughs> <laughs> well, there we go. They'll, they'll, they'll probably come one and two. Thomas, is, is Thomas, he's always shown good endurance and resistance in the later stage TTs in his career, hasn't he, in GC? Yes, but I think you're stuck in a bit of a, a Thomas Tunnel vision today because I swear you've said <laughs> Thomas on every single stage. <laughs> I Thomas just, would have won the Giro by 10 minutes. Well, Avonapol would have won it by 20 minutes if he was there. <laughs> I mean, that, uh, yeah. No, no, I actually, I actually agree with you, though. Like, Thomas will be 35 next year for the tour. It really – and you also got some hard decisions, but we'll have to we'll, – we'll be able to make a more informed decision of all points about that later. I think we don't want to focus on riders too much. Yeah. Trom's Elise procession, we, I hate it. A lot of other people hate it. 117Ks, sprint finish. Hopefully there's a last-minute attack and someone wins. It'll make it a bit more exciting. And, yeah, what is there more to say about this? But your, your overall rating for this route, Benji, I think it's better than this year's. I really didn't like this year's route. I think it's better than this year's. I think I've got a – if I have to give a score out of 10, perhaps a 6.5 to 7. And that might sound like low, but I'm comparing this relative to – the profiles of Tour de France in history, and perhaps I'm also comparing it a bit towards Giro, who I prefer when it comes to profiles, hands down. 
I think that we really are missing a proper queen stage. And if I'm talking about a queen stage, I'm talking about the kind of stage where you have 120, 100 kilometers with three huge mountains or a large mountain stage with two climbs that are ideal to try and open it up earlier. And right now, the Tourmalet and Luzardi Den one might offer that. I think Portet is great, but it's mostly going to be fought on the last Portet climb. I don't think anything will happen before that climb, except for purely pacing to help the attrition onto the Portet. So I'm missing that stage where I'm like, oh, there's going to be early action, and we're going to see action from start to finish. And yeah, I miss those kind of stages and therefore I also can't specify where the big difference are going to be made beforehand but the opposite side to that is that you might not have the situation where people are like oh tomorrow is the queen stage so we need to save energy today and that's perhaps the benefit of not having a queen stage but yeah that's a bit of a conspiracy theory on mine then I think I give it about a similar rating seven I compare it to other Tour de France stages and the best they can make for the Tour de France stage. I mean, every race has to do the best they can with the profiles available to them and the constraints on them. It's sometimes a little bit unfair to compare the Tour to the Giro in that the Giro has... It's more easy, I think, to link up high mountain passes and make these monster stages, etc. in the Giro just because Italy has more of those climbs up to high altitude. That being said, I, I agree. I wish there was a big queen stage, big high mountain stage with 5,000 metres climbing and two, over 220 kilometres. That being said, I like the fact that there are, despite the first couple of stages, I like the fact that there are less of the stages where Roglic picks up sort of 5, 10 bonus seconds like at the Vuelta. I, I wish, I just wish they'd made the ITTKs a little bit longer to make it a bit more interesting. But then again, if they'd done that, would that count out Bernal-type riders, etc., or Quintana? Um, it probably already does, in my view, just the way this... It suits an all-rounder, and that's why Pogacar is my clear favourite right now. I think he's going to have a better team next year, and, um, yeah, Pogacar is my clear favourite, and this route is made in a, in a laboratory for him because he'll destroy Thomas on one of these mountain stages. He'll drop him easily, I think and making up more than any time he loses on the ITT. And then for the pure mountain guys, he'll beat them in the ITT by a considerable amount. And then I think he's just better than Rolich all round on a stage like this where it's not just punchy finishes um, and a better all-round racer. So Rolich will be relying on the Yumbo Visma team and their tactics a lot. And he also got some hard decisions to make about their GC leaders. Bora, do they go with Buchmann? Do they go with Kemner? as their GC leader. That's my dark horse. Kamner is GC leader. He's got a good TT on him, Junior World TT champion in 2014. Looked good last year. He, you know, can Kamner do okay as Bora as a GC leader or Buchmann? That's something interesting. Who else am I missing, Benji? Which other? Who are the other GC contenders? For me, the winner of the tour is Pavel Sivakov. I think that this year he was meant to break out. He didn't because of the crash in the Tour de France. He was quite genuinely one of the top three climbers in the Dauphiné. And I believe that if we bring the man to the Tour de France, he has a time trial to do decent that. He won't lose too much time in the time trial. He won't gain time on the time trial. 
but he's going to spread his wings and become the first rider that will eventually become a French rider to win a Grand Tour in ages. And I would have said a French rider... I don't rider. think he'll be French next year, though, will he? No, he won't. So if he becomes afterwards a French rider, they can still bank on him being a French <laughs> rider that has won a Grand Tour. So that's what I'm kind of meaning. But I believe that Sivakov will be the, uh, the rider that people won't per se have on their mind yet because of the disappointment of the injuries this year. And I think he will come back next year and will be also powerful. But as a Belgian, I do need to say, if Evenepoel's at the start, I'm fully supporting him. And I'm going to be all out. <laughs> Perhaps slightly bit biased when we get to the uh, Tour de France podcast when he's at the start. Can you, can you imagine if Evan Nepal goes to the Tour de France and does pretty well, the content I could make and have the hype trained? It would be it'd be ridiculous. So let's all pray for that. Um, <laughs> but I still think Pogac is a better all-round rider than him at this moment in time. He's more proven. But maybe I'm no. just... Yeah, he, he literally won the Tour de France. Yeah. So. <laughs> well, that's one way of proving yourself. <laughs> <laughs> that's all from our Tour de France. Well, I guess he, Bernal won in 2019 and I called him washed last week, the other day. So things can change quickly in the cycling world. This was our Tour de France 2021 route preview. We'll obviously be doing proper previews for the Tour closer to the time. I, I don't know why. I wish they'd announced it later because I'm already hyped. I'm like, I already can't wait for it. Um, I know everyone focuses on the tour a lot, but it is the biggest race in the world by a long shot. Hope you enjoy this podcast. Give it a like or comment down below what you would have liked to have seen differently in this Tour de France route or what you like about it, who you think will win. Are we discounting? Are we counting anyone out? That's all from us. Jan Ulrich never took performance-enhancing drugs. Ciao. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.